live from Studio B's. This is Proudly Made in Canada with your co-host and co-owner of Local Honorary, Mr. Connor Kern. And we also have our other co-host and co-owner, Mr. Justin Paisley. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining. We are really excited. Today we have our very first Made in Canada, Proudly Made in Canada, fashion designer, someone who knows a lot more about fashion than Dustin and I. Uh, really excited to, to have her on the show. We actually went to school together at State of X, so really excited. Ms. D. Silky, thanks so much for, for joining. I'm so excited to be here and to, and to chat with both of you guys and get to know Dustin a little bit. I only say that because <laughs> pre-record, Connor and I were chatting up a storm. But yeah, this is going to be a great interview. We have so much to cover. And I'm, I'm super pumped to tell uh, all the listeners and, and followers about my experience ma- making things locally in Canada and all things Canadian fashion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a bit of background. You and I went to school together, both kind of went our separate ways. All of a sudden you pop up on my feed, you know, someone sends me a video, you made a $2,000 jacket with literally $2,000 in it. And I was like, who, what has D been up to? And uh, kind of on the same path. So tell us a little bit of background, a little bit of uh, what you've been up to, how you kind of got into the fashion world and, and where, where things are at. Yeah. So interesting enough, I feel like my story really does start at St. FX. I mean, I did the thing that every kind of kid, every 90s kid does. They graduate from high school, they go to university, you know, go away from home and party maybe a little bit too much. And uh, around my second year of of university, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I don't want a bachelor's degree in art. Like, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't really want to work for somebody else. So I actually left St. FX, which was really hard to do because I wanted that X ring so badly. But I left St. FX and I went to the New Brunswick College of Craft and Design where I actually studied surface design and pattern making. So what that means is like any design you see on any surface that could be bedding, a shower curtain, a tissue box, a carpet. I basically learned how to do that and how to design that. And I niched down and I specialized into fabric. And then after I graduated from college, I just started like dyeing all of this silk, hence the name D Silky. And I would partner with local fashion designers and kind of we would use my fabric and their designs to make these really cool pieces that we were just doing for photo shoots essentially and that really got me the itch that fashion design itch and so I I went out on my own and then you know I found it extremely difficult to do cut and sew on the east coast and so my husband and I my husband Ryan he's so supportive we sold all of our stuff packed up our little hatchback car and drove to Toronto we didn't have jobs nothing and made a go of it. So we've been in Toronto for over three years now. And like you mentioned, Connor, this January, January, 2021, I launched something called the money coat, which is a coat stuffed with over $2,000 cash. Uh, I love it. A couple, a couple questions. Where, Where did the idea come from? How did this all start? Yeah, yeah, definitely needs some more introduction behind the concept or else it's just like, wow, is this girl (laughs) like crazy and tone deaf? Like who, who creates a money coat in the middle of a global pandemic? Like what a weirdo. But what actually had happened was I've manufactured both in China and in Canada, different collections, and both processes present their own unique challenges. And In 2016, I launched a product called the Kindness Boxers, which were unisex silk cotton boxers. And the waistband said, instead, be kind on them. And it was a reminder to like, be kind to yourself and to those around you. 
And I had them made in China because I couldn't find anybody on the East Coast that would make them for under 80 bucks a pop. And that's like not including fabric. Like this was just like yeah. for cut and sew. So I went to China, but their MOQs, which means minimum order quantity is like massive over there. So the, the smallest MOQ I could find was 600 units. And I, like, I was just, I don't know, like I had like really big balls. Like I was just like, yeah, I'm going to sell like 600 pairs of boxers with the same print on it, even though I have absolutely no customers lined up. Like, sure, why not? So I ordered like 600 pairs of these boxers and I sold half of them like really quickly. And then after that, like sales just stopped. My social media was sick of seeing them. It was the same friggin' print on all of them. And I tried to liquidate them. Like I tried to to wholesale to a big box store. I won't say who, but they obviously work with like fast fashion brands and like use slave labor or like child labor. Sorry, not slave labor, child labor. And so they wanted to like retail them for less than what it cost me to have them made. So I was just like, well, I'm not doing that. So I sat on these boxers for three years. I had like 300 pairs of boxers in my living room. And it was just so frustrating because I would look at them and, and knew what they were worth, knew it was a good product. And I just thought like, man, if I could sell these boxers, then I would have money to like do the next cool thing. And so I was like thinking about how frustrating it was to have so much money wrapped up in inventory. And at the same time that I was like thinking about having my money wrapped up in inventory, I was also thinking like, in order to be a thriving creative business, your business has to solve a problem. So what, what problem am I trying to solve other than like clothing people so that they're not walking around naked? And I started to think about coats. That's such an obvious thing for Canada. We need coats to keep, keep us warm. And so the, the two ideas just sort of like merged. And I was like, holy shit, I should make a, coat stuffed with cash that shows people what it feels like to have their money wrapped up in inventory. And so I did a crowdfunding campaign and I just went to my Instagram. I, I don't have a big following, but I have a loyal following. They're called the Silkies. So I went to my Silkies <laughs> and I like told them this issue that I've been having. And they've, they've seen me like go through all of this in real time because I'm always posting on Insta stories. And in exchange for a donation of $30 or more, I actually gave each person a piece of that old inventory that wasn't selling. So I actually gave people a pair of boxers. And then within like four days, I raised like over $4,000. Wow. Yeah. That's Sorry, great. that was like a really long-winded answer. No, no, that's fascinating. It, it's a concept that it speaks near and dear to Dustin's heart. Dustin, yeah. tell, tell Dio you've been working on the last couple of days. Well, through our year end, going through all our ending inventory. So I can absolutely relate to having uh, money wrapped up in inventory that you're just kind of sitting on, hoping to get through because that's where that's where your cash for future products comes from. Yeah. I think like one of the things that makes it so frustrating for fashion designers as opposed to different industries, because no matter what industry you're in, food and beverage, for example, you're always going to have inventory issues. But what makes it uniquely challenging for fashion designers is like, I think a lot of designers are really grassroots. And so you're kind of like bootstrapping things as best you can. And so to have enough skin in the game to raise money to like, first of all, put shelter over your head, feed yourself, then have enough money to like build out a collection is great. But like, we don't have 
any funds left for proper marketing and advertising where fast fashion brands do. They have, you know, million dollar budgets just for marketing and advertising. So one of the silver linings from the pandemic has been, I think a lot of Canadian consumers have woken up and who want to support Canadian fashion, but they don't know like where to look. They don't know where to find these Canadian designers. And we don't have the money to put our product in front of them. And so that's where the disconnect lies. And that's where we have so much struggle moving through that inventory. It's not that we don't have great products. It's not that we don't have the customers who want those great products. We just don't have the money to advertise and compete with fast fashion brands. So that that really sucks. Yeah, no, I, and it, that's something that we kind of really experienced right from the get go as well. Is how do you get the word out there? You know, you got a great product, great brand, and for us, you know, we kind of had this ethos of, of collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. Find those other brands that are just starting out that also have no money. You know, yeah. and little things, even just like this, which is you know one of the reasons I wanted to reach out and get you on the podcast. It's like let us share your story, you share our story, and like the more collectively we share each other's story, the more it's it's a lot slower and a lot more organic. But the more and more people more and more people get it, you know, but I kind of want to go back to, so you you made your boxers overseas and, you know, you you sat on the inventory, you know, where did the kind of switch come from to, to really focus on manufacturing that next piece or that, you know, in in Canada, you know, cause I, I followed your stories. You've done an excellent job of like, even, you know, trying to find the right zippers, you know, like uh, all the little pieces, like it's, it's hard, right? It's so much more difficult. So where did that kind of fierce pride to, and determination to make stuff here come from? That's a great question. And it it was definitely a disconnect because when I made the boxers overseas, like the boxers retailed for like 25 to 30 bucks. And then to make my next collection in Canada, obviously it was much more costly. So I think my cheapest product in the next line was like 110 bucks. So that was really difficult for the consumer because they're like, wait a minute, like her price point was down here. Now it's up here. Like what? And also the boxers were like loungewear and had like a MeUndies kind of vibe. And then the next collection I did was like 100% silk and some of it was hand dyed. So there was a lot of disconnects for different reasons. I think the reason that I decided to make in Canada was ethically, I mean, I had no way of knowing that my manufacturer overseas was actually being ethical, even though they told me they were, unless I were to go to China myself and look at things. That being said, I don't think that if you manufacture overseas, you're like a, you're an unethical brand or you're terrible because there there are a lot of really good manufacturers and ethical manufacturers overseas. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people who work in those manufacturing plants in other countries, like that's something that's been passed down from generation to generation. So they can make a garment a lot faster than somebody uh, in Canada can because they, they've grown up with that. It's like in their family heritage. And so even if you were going to pay someone in India the same amount that you were going to pay someone in Canada, if you're paying them by the hour, it's, it's a possibility that someone in India could just make it that much faster. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there's just so much to consider there, but all that to say, I wanted to be more hands-on with the brand, especially to like what I, something that I really, really like about my brand is that I am able to be transparent and like take my, my followers and my customers along the journey with me. Right. Cause like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Like I'm just 
figuring this out as I go along. So it's and not just us? No, it's not just you. <laughs> it's not just you. And so I, 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 I can't show that those like behind the scenes of like a manufacturer in China working on my clothes like I can in Canada. Mm-hmm. So what happened after you released the coat? So the, the campaign went well, you raised a couple thousand bucks and, and then what happened? Yeah. So then the pandemic hit after I, I, I raised the money. And so all the stores were closed, suppliers were backlogged. It was just a mess. But I finally got the coat made. I worked with an incredible seamstress who had a lot of, there, we, we came across a lot of different hiccups making the coat, which I didn't feature just because I didn't want it to look bad on her because it wasn't her fault at all. It was just like neither one of us had made something like this. And it was a lot more technically challenging than either one of us had thought. Like, for example, the money kept like slipping and it didn't look lined up evenly or um, the insulation that I got ended up not being poofy enough. So we had to triple layer it just so it would get that nice poofy effect. And then when we triple layered it, it condensed it so much that it made it kind of stiff. Like there was just so many hiccups we had, but we did it. And then it went viral on TikTok. Like I think this series in total has like, I don't know, at least 7 million views. One video alone has like 3.1 million views. And then the the press contacted me. They're like, hey, we saw this on TikTok. We want to feature it. And then that was crazy. I did like a whole media blitz in January, February. It's still trickling in. And then like, I think one of the most common questions I get is like, oh, how much are you going to sell it for? And I mean, this is like a high end piece. This is like, just because it's not, it's not a $2,000 code. Like, yeah, there's $2,000 in it, but then there's the material to make it. There's like, I had to pay my sewer to do it. There's all my time of research and like finding all the little intricate pieces, like you mentioned earlier. And I would love to give a portion of this sale to either a nonprofit that like supports uh, youth that are involved in the arts or like another Canadian designer that's maybe struggling with inventory issues themselves. So uh, I, I don't like to say the number. I always just say like if somebody's serious and they and they you know have a philanthropic heart and they want to give back to the arts, they can contact me and we can have that discussion. But it's a piece of wearable art and it's a collector's item for sure. Absolutely, it is. I, so I remember what? seeing it on TikTok, and I just I, I think it's incredible that as a designer or anyone out there having this platform that can allow you to just see so many eyeballs on your product is pretty incredible. What was it like to go viral? I think everyone imagines and envisions what it would be like one day to have their their, their content go viral. But what was it like? The first time I went viral, I was like in shock. And I said to my husband, you know, like, because I'm always, I'm always focused on the next thing. And I'm always like, I'm, I'm a lot harder on myself than I let on. So when it started to like pop off and I'm talking like, this was my first video to, to even get 10,000 views. So when I could, when I could tell it was about to get 10,000 views, I was like, Ryan, we're celebrating. We went to like a pub, we had some nachos and beer. And then by the time we left the pub, it was like, I don't know, 10 or 15,000 views. And I was like, I've made it. Like, (laughs) I was so excited. And then I got home and it was at 20,000 views. And I I remember like dancing in the kitchen to Drake's started from the bottom. Now we're here. Like, I really thought like this was big. And then that video, like, I think it popped off to like 500,000 views. And it was exciting because I'd never seen numbers like that for myself or my brand. But 
it also like didn't do anything. Like I didn't get more sales. I didn't get like new followers on Instagram. Like it was just kind of like, oh, okay. Well, that was like a lot of hype over nothing. Then my next like video that did really well, it has like 1.4 million views or something. And that was like me talking about a fast fashion brand who I like believe maybe lifted one of my designs. And that was cool because then I could start to see like a correlation because after I posted that, like my website views spiked up. And then when I posted the the money coat stuff and that was getting like 3 million views of a video or whatever, like, yeah, my, my website views went up, my Instagram followers went up, like everything went up. But all this to say for anyone who's listening, who's like in the fashion industry and that's creative like I am and can kind of get like side rail, you have to be strategic that your content like either has a direct call to action or a subliminal call to action that it translate, right? So like, I wish in, you know, hindsight's 2020, but like, I wish that when the money coat had blown up and I was getting all this press that I had a product like ready to sell so that when my website traffic was massive, people were shopping, right? But because I did the ready to wear collection after the money coat, it's kind of like, you don't see those same results. So it's just a bit like having to be strategic to make sure that when those videos do pop off and you do go viral or you're getting all this attention in the media or you do score like an awesome influencer that you have the stuff ready to go so that those sales correlate the media. Great advice. I mean, it's, it's hard to time going viral, but yeah. you know, at least uh, always be prepared and, and have yourself set up. That's good advice. Always be prepared. That's right, Dustin. And so what's this next collection? What's uh What's next? Yeah, so I'm in a course right now. It's called 100 Steps to Startup. And it's such an amazing course. It, it literally walks you step by step into taking your idea to a thriving business. And so what this program has taught me is it's like really taken me through these different exercises to flesh out who my target market is, what problem am I solving for them, so on and so forth. And I decided that I want to do... I want my brand to be sort of twofold. So one, I have these like super crazy outlandish coats, like the money coat that are a collector's item, they're a piece of art, but then also have um, something that's a, like a bit more accessible, still a premium product for sure, still really great quality, but through both levels of the coat, both the high end and the lower, I say lower end, but they're still gonna be, you know, an investment piece since they're made in Canada. I want all of those coats to really be fusing art and different concepts with fashion. So again, it, it like what you're wearing really represents something. And so the next collection that I'm working on is all about sustainability and what that means to me. I have been very frustrated with the use of the term sustainable fashion. And I think it gets thrown around like confetti and, and there's no regulations, right? So like, it's easy to say you're sustainable, but what does that actually mean? And one brand could say that they're sustainable because they use this kind of fabric and a brand right next to them could claim the same thing and use an opposite fabric. So to me, sustainable fashion is like very, frustrating. And I think a lot of corporations have greenwashed it and are claiming to be environmentally friendly or to be sustainable when really it's all just a big marketing ploy and consumers like aren't fully educated on what sustainability actually means. And so they buy something at a premium price because they're told like it's 
sustainable. It's so great, yada, yada, yada. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that product is better than the environment than a brand who isn't claiming to be sustainable and using that as their value proposition. So it's all about like just opening up this conversation. I think it's going to be a hot topic because people do feel so passionately about it. Of course, I care about the environment. Of course, like I want to be go friendly, but at the same time, like sustainability also it like the definition of it is sustaining something. And so you have to make decisions that sustain your business from a financial point of view as well. That's the underlying key factor. You can't, uh, can't be a sustainable business without uh, being a sustainable business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time real quick. Where can people go to support you? Where can people find you? Where can people go to follow you? Do you have any boxers left? <laughs> well, I just wrote down your quote right there. You can't be a sustainable business without being a sustainable business. <laughs> I, I, I posted the the boxers on TikTok this summer. That went viral as well. And I think I have like seven pairs left. So, And they sold all over the world, which is another like amazing thing about TikTok. So to support, you can go to dsilky.com. That website is a bit dated but it will be getting a makeover this year. And then as always, like following me on Instagram and TikTok are probably the, the best ways to stay in contact because I do post on those platforms daily. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show. Great to, great to reconnect. Great to chat thank about all guys. things Canadian made. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel a little bit guilty because I just talked about myself the whole time and I want to hear more about you guys. <laughs> That's the point. You're the guest. <laughs> but people... next, time, next time you come to Toronto for for your work, like both of you, honestly, like if you need a, if you don't want to pay for a hotel, like we have a spare room that you can stay in. And like, honestly, like we have to, have to, have to get together when you're here. Absolutely. Careful what you wish for. Absolutely. We've showed up at our lawyer's door uh, in Toronto with our bags. We're like, hey, we're here to take you up on that offer. I'm, and I'm I just, so like... serious. I'm so serious. Oh, that's that's very kind of you. Well, we'll hop on the uh, the IG live and we'll 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 get uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about us. But uh, Dustin, yeah. for now, take us away in this episode. Well, thank you so much, D Silky, for coming on. Uh, incredible to meet you. Learn more about your brand. Great advice for others who are just starting and and how to prepare for going viral on TikTok. Certainly not not a formula yet for how to go viral. But really appreciate the time. Great to learn more about you. And to anyone out there listening, thanks for stopping by and look forward to getting more recommendations about who we should have on the podcast. Connor, sign us off. Thanks so much and have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Proudly Made in Canada by Local Laundry. We are your co-hosts and co-owners, Connor Curran and Dustin Paisley. You can find us anywhere, anytime at www.locallaundry.ca for all of our Canadian-made garments. You can find out what we're up to in the community at Local Laundry and all social channels. Sign up for our newsletter, sign up for our e-blast, and you can find all previous episodes of the podcast wherever you stream your podcast from. Until next time. Until next time.